0: Well, good morning. Glad to see you this morning. Uh, I loved hearing from some of our youth and youth leaders, their excitement. Next time, though, 55 plus, I want to hear some hooping and hollering. (laughs) from y'all, all right? Um, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I just want to take a minute to deal with a little bit of family business before we jump in here. A couple of folks in our church family that uh, a number of you are already praying for, but I would love to ask you to be in prayer for. Uh, one is John Fike. Um, John is one of our deacons, uh, John and Shannon, faithful uh, folks here at Friendship. John went into the hospital, I believe, on Christmas Eve, and Has not yet returned home. Um, Had surgery, diverticulitis, had a foot, I believe, of his colon removed, and now there's been some complications after this. There's an abscess on his colon, and uh, they were hoping that he would get to go home yesterday, and it just didn't work out. It's not time yet. And so just continue to pray for John and Shannon and their kids. Um, Man, uh, I know he is itching to get home and to recover, but we want him to be ready for that. So pray for the doctors, for wisdom, and just for healing in his body. Um, we believe that God is a, the ultimate healer. Amen. And so if you would be praying for John and Shannon and their family, um, man, we'd love to see them, him heal and get home soon. Uh, also, I want to ask you to pray for Michelle Miles. Um, Michelle lost her home in a fire. Um, Overnight, the two nights ago on on uh, Saturday night, uh, Friday night, and uh, man, we woke up to phone call and uh, lost everything. And so, um, Michelle and her, she has a a grown son, adult son Ryan, who lives with her as well. And so, uh, man, I'm just uh, encouraged by the body of Christ. I'm so thankful for our church family in the way that. Uh, A number of you have responded and um, are just looking to bless and help and encourage her, and um, so I just want to ask you to be praying for Michelle. And there's a lot of practical things. And in fact, you know, Jake prayed for our offering. What I would love to do is kind of um, you know do an old-fashioned love offering. Uh, If you'd be willing to help support, whether it's 10 bucks, 100 bucks. A few hundred, but whatever you have that you want to contribute, I I would love for us as a church to rally behind Michelle. Um, I literally told someone um, last week um, that if there's a an incredible story of God working in someone's life over the last year in our church, Michelle is the one I would point to. And I literally told uh, Ann Stewart, um, who is the leader of our 55 plus group, and we were talking about Michelle and just all the incredible things God is doing in her life. And um, we happen to be reading in our, our F260 Bible reading plan this year as a church. Uh, we happen to be in the book of Job this week. And Michelle pointed that out. Uh, and it, she fully recognized the reality of what Job was going through and how he had lost everything. And God is working in her life. And I don't doubt that, you know, maybe there was a moment where God said, hey, have you seen my servant, Michelle? She is... She is blameless and righteous before you, and, and she trusts in me, and I know she does. And so would you all be praying for Michelle? And, and one of the things I want to ask you to do is, is, uh, is feel free to please give liberally so we can support her, of course, in that way um but also um if you could uh miss Ann is in the room Ann is helping lead our 55 plus group if you have questions or you want to serve her or bless her in any kind of way of course you can reach out to her let her know you're praying for her um, show her your love but we're going to try to direct things through uh, miss Ann. that way we don't overwhelm michelle michelle's like me she's introverted so i know she can get overwhelmed Um, and this is just an overwhelming circumstance. And so feel free to reach out to her in love. But um, if if you want to provide or help in any way, uh, Miss Ann is the person to go through, okay? So that way we can kind of protect her and not overwhelm her. Uh, Though we do want to overwhelm her with our prayers and with our love and care. Amen. And so let me pray for both John and the Fikes and then also Michelle and Ryan as they're going through this, this season. God, thank you for the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the body of Christ in which you set us as members. That that this family of faith is exactly that. It's a family that loves one another and cares for one another. And Lord, I just pray for these folks that are part of our family. I pray for John and just this ongoing situation. God, I pray for healing. I pray that you would do um, the work that only you can do physically, that you would bring healing that would astonish the doctors and bless John and Shannon and their family. I pray that you give them grace and strength physically, emotionally, mentally as they go through this. I pray that your presence would be very real to them. And Lord, I pray for Michelle as well as she's dealing with loss. Lord, I pray that through this you would give her um, peace that passes all understanding. I pray that you would give her grace that only you can provide, that she could um, trust you more, that she could see your hand at work, that she could sense your presence. I pray for Ryan as well through this, that he would see the goodness of God and be open to who you are. And Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified, that you would strengthen um, your church, that you would build our faith, that you would build their faith, and God, that you would use us to just bless our brothers and sisters um, that we're praying for this morning. And so, God, would you do a work that you would get the glory for? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in the series, um, and it's called In the Beginning. This is, we're calling it the year of discipleship. Uh, My prayer, I've been saying for you, for us, is that this would be our greatest year of spiritual growth ever. And there's many ways that we grow. Some of the ways we grow is is through hardship and depending on the Lord and seeing his hand at work and seeing that he is real and that he's powerful and that he works on our behalf. One of the primary ways that we grow is by engaging with God through his word and through hearing from him and hearing his promises and trusting in him and growing in our faith and so we're in this 52-week journey that we're doing every sunday and in the word so we're working our way through the bible and and the different accounts of what god was doing in the scriptures and we're also working through what i just mentioned a moment ago our f260 reading bible reading plan i want to encourage you all to jump in with us if you haven't it's not too late we're in week number two there's bible reading plans over at our next steps area um I hope you'll join us in that. And I I want to kind of, on a side note, I had a question last week that I think was very appropriate. Uh, It was from Joe Massentuno. He asked uh, asked me after the service, he said, why are we in this reading plan starting into the book of Job in the first week of the year? And some of you may have had that question because in, in the scope of, you know, the books of the Bible, that's that's later on in the scripture. and So how are we jumping from Genesis to Job? And I just I thought that was a great question and I, I've received other many questions uh, in the Bible reading plan and I'm, I love questions. Uh, some of them are harder than others. Um, but in, in this question of why are we reading Job, um, with the book of Job, um, it may be uh, the oldest book in the Bible chronologically. Um, many believe that um, Job lived prior to the birth of Abraham. Uh, And if that is true, that would place um, the book of Job chronologically somewhere maybe towards the end of Genesis 11. And so that is the reason why you're seeing some some Bible reading in the book of Job. Some of you maybe that's new info, and uh, I'm glad that Joe asked that question. Great question. All right. So we're in the series called In the Beginning, and we're 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 in the very beginning of the the book in the book of Genesis. And I said this last week, but. The Bible is a collection of stories and historical events and all kinds of different genres of literature and different authors over many hundreds of years. But it's all one unified story that points us to Jesus. And so we're starting in the very beginning in the book of Genesis where we learn foundational truths about who God is and about human history and the, the plan of God from the start. And so some incredible things that we need to learn or be reminded of in the book of Genesis in the beginning. And so this morning's sermon is called Promise Keeper. And we just sang about that, that God, this is who you are, your promise keeper. And so we're going to look at a couple passages this morning. We're going to be in Genesis 12 and we'll be in Genesis 15 as well. So let me just kind of summarize where we're at in the book of Genesis as we approach these chapters, chapters 12 and 15. We, we talked about it last week, creation. God created all things, heavens and the earth, all the plants and animals. He created Adam and Eve, the first humans. And then we see quickly that f- the fall The fall of man, sin enters in. Adam and Eve disobey God, and sin enters into the human race and into the world. And then as we move along, we see the the flood takes place because sin continues to increase and abound. And God says that when he looks out at man, man is only full of evil continually in his heart. And so, so God decides to kind of start over and he saves Noah and his family through this ark, this boat, which is a picture of Christ and we come along to Genesis chapter 11 the tower of babel which is we see that even after God kind of resets things with Noah that that sin still is present and we see people that want to reach to the heavens and so they start building this tower to reach the heaven and they literally say let us make a name for ourselves and God was like, uh-uh, we ain't doing that, all right? There's one name that I want you to worship, and it's my name. And so he scatters the people. He confuses their languages. And this is how we see different people groups and different languages across the planet. It takes place at the, the Tower of Babel. And it's been said that Genesis 11 is all about man's plans. But then as we move into Genesis chapter 12, it's all about God's plan, And this is where Abraham enters into the picture. And so this morning, there's really two big points God promises and God provides. So, God promises. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. And before we read there, um, do you remember last week, if you were here, maybe you listened online, um, we talked about God creates, sin corrupts. Jesus redeems. And so we've, we've seen God create, we've seen sin corrupt, and really at this place in the big story, we're kind of working towards really from Genesis all the way to the New Testament until Jesus comes. We're kind of in that space where everything is preparing for that Messiah to come in, in a later generation. And, and so God's plan to ultimately redeem, he starts to put this into place and act, begins to enact this plan through Abraham, or as we see in the scriptures, his name is Abram, and which means high father. And God later changes his name to Abraham, which means father of multitude. So God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He calls him to go and he gives him promises. All right. So Genesis chapter 12, check it out here. It says this, the Lord, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is one of the most important conversations that we see in the scripture as as God calls Abraham to go. And he tells him to go to this land that I'm gonna show you. And along with this, This instruction, God makes some pretty significant promises to Abraham. In fact, he uses the phrase, I will, I will do this five times. So five times he says, I will do this. He says, I will show you this land that I'm going to give you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I'm going to bless you so that you'll be a blessing to others. He says, "I'll bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you." And so he makes these incredible promises to Abraham that almost sound too good to be true. It's incredible, and and then we see, and we didn't read it, but in verse four it says, "So Abraham went as the Lord who as the Lord told him." So Abraham trusts him, and he packs up and 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 goes. where God has called him. So God promises. And and I want us to see kind of, we're going to spend more time in the second half, which is God provides. God provides. So in Genesis chapter 15, I want you to, we're going to kind of fast forward to Genesis chapter 15. And I want you to see this because apparently Abraham was feeling some anxiety uh, about these big promises that God had made him. Okay. He told him, I'm going to send you to this land. I'm going to make a great nation of you, which, which means I'm going to Like, multiply your offspring. I'm I'm going to make a great nation of you. And you know what it requires in order to get to a whole lot of, like, a nation full of people? It takes one child, of which Abraham and his wife Sarah had zero, all right? And so I think he's, after this prolonged childlessness, he's going, okay, God, how are you going to pull off what you said you're going to do? I'm just, he's, are these promises really true? And so I want to read Genesis 15. We're going to kind of read through a few verses at a time here. Verse number one of, of Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Here's what the Lord said. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And so he's got this anxiety, he's anxious about these promises of God because he's not seeing any of this come to fruition. And so God speaks these incredibly comforting words to him. He says, fear not, Abram. Hey, Abraham, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to stress. You don't have to be anxious. I am your shield. I'm not just going to protect you. I am your protection. I am your shield. And yet Abraham or Abe says, like, but God, where are your promises? I'm not seeing them. We're still childless, and I don't know how we're going to get from this to there. And he's literally looking at, at what's going on, and him and Sarah are approaching 90, 100 years old. Like, God, how are you going to pull this off? And God says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. And then God kind of doubles down on his promise. And I want you to look at verse verses 4 and 5. He says this, Behold, it says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This, uh, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So it's like he doubles down on this. And back in, in, in chapter 13, God said that Abraham's offspring would be like the dust of, of the earth. And, and here he, he changes up his his analogy and he, said, he takes him outside and he says, hey, look at the stars. And, and this kind of reminds me of a scene, if you remember the old like Disney animated film, The Lion King, there's a scene in there and ironically enough, it's not the scene where Mufasa, the Lion King says to Simba, look at the stars, all right, it's not that scene. There's, it's this scene where he actually, they look out over his whole kingdom And he says, he says, son, like everywhere that the light touches is our kingdom. And that's going to be yours one day. And this just, this reminds me of the scene between, you know, God, the great Mufasa in the sky and, and, and Abraham, he says, hey, look out at the stars in the sky. Like, can you number those? And he says, that's, that's going to be like your offspring. And Abraham is going, I don't even have a son yet. And, and yet God is saying, "This is what your 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 offspring is going to be, and I'm going to make you of, of you a great nation." This is an incredible promise that He's making right here to Abraham, and yet Abraham is still like questioning all of this. and And I want to point out, kind of again on a side note, I just think this is a kind of a cool little thing. One of the descendants was going to be like the stars of the sky. We see in Revelation 22, the words of Jesus in verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify you about about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, read this with me, the bright morning star. The bright morning star, one of his descendants that was going to be like, like all of those stars in the sky was going to be the bright star morning star, the Lord Jesus. And so God, he, he doubles down on this promise. He says, look at the stars. And, and then in verse number six, this is literally one of the most important verses of the Bible that we skip over, that we read past and we just go, oh, okay. But this is one of the most important verses in all of the scriptures. Verse number six says this, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as Righteousness. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible. And it seems so simple. Okay, God said, this is what your offspring is going to be like. It says, Abraham believed. And then God counted it to him as righteousness. This is so important that five times in the New Testament, this verse is either quoted or referenced. Three times in, the, in Romans chapter four, once in Galatians three, and once in James chapter two. So, over and over in the New Testament, this verse is quoted or referenced. Why? Because this is such an important teaching or idea that we see in the scripture. And it's the idea of justification by faith, which means that you and I are justified or declared righteous, not by merit. Okay, not by works, not by what we do, not by doing a lot of good religious things, but by faith alone. Right, do you get that? Not by the good that we do, not by our merit, but by faith alone. Abraham believed the Lord and what God did is it says he counted it to him as righteousness. In other words, he, he, he credited his righteousness to Abraham's account not because Abraham did a bunch of good, holy, righteous things, but because he simply believed the Lord. And it says that he counted or he credited to his account. Another word I've used in the past, you've heard me use is imputed. He credited something that didn't belong to him to his account by faith and faith alone. This is such An important idea. In fact, the reformers back 500 plus years ago, they had these phrases that these Latin phrases that uh, identified really core beliefs in the church. And one of these Latin phrases was sola fide, which means faith alone. In other words, that's not by your works. It's not by your righteousness and your good deeds that you become right with God. It's because of what Jesus has done and you putting your faith in him alone. This is so significant. So significant in fact that Martin Luther, like the original reformer, he said this, when the article of justification has fallen, everything else has fallen. This is the chief article from which all other doctrines or teachings have flowed. It alone begets, begets nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. This is such an important, such an important teaching. Abraham believed the Lord. He believed. He had faith in who God was and what he said, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so, what God had promised Abraham was really, it was humanly impossible that they were going to, at the ages of 90 and 100, have children and and that they were going to produce and be as the stars of the heavens. And yet, Abraham believed, right? This was all he did. He believed, he simply had faith in what God said seemed impossible. He believed God and it says, God counted it to him as righteousness. And and, and let's kind of move on and see what happens here. And he said to him, God said to him, I am the Lord, verse seven, who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it and he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And this is kind of a weird like little section here where you go like, Okay, is God like a witch doctor? What's going on here? This is kind of bizarre. Um, he, here's what's going on. God says, I'm gonna give you this land to possess. And Abraham still, he's, he's trusting the Lord, but he's got questions, right? He's okay with this. He's saying, how do I know you're gonna keep your promise? How do I know this is gonna to come to pass? And so what God does is God proves it by making a covenant, all right? He makes a covenant with with Abraham, and this is what we call the Abrahamic covenant, and actually the a covenant is, is simply an agreement between two parties, and the, the actual covenant took place what we read in Genesis 12, when God said, "Go, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. That, those were the terms of, of the covenant, the agreement. He said, "Go, and I'm going to do this." But yet here. God goes kind of a step further in this covenant. So there's two basic kinds of, of covenants. One is a conditional and one is an unconditional. So a conditional covenant was between two parties, and both of those parties were responsible. All right, there was conditions, and so if one of those parties didn't, you know, if they failed on their end of the bargain, the covenant was over. It was done. And they could walk free of that. That was a conditional covenant. But then there's a second kind of covenant that was an unconditional covenant, which meant that only one of the parties was responsible. Only one of the parties um, took the responsibility uh, upon himself. And, And so in the ancient Eastern manner of making a covenant... They go through this process of taking these these animals and these sacrifices and cutting them in half. And they would lay them out on two sides as if they made like a path between them. And whichever parties were responsible, whether it was one party or both, to kind of bind themselves to this agreement, they would walk between those, those dead carcasses. And I know, this is, again, this is bizarre, right? Um, but it was their way of saying, they were binding themselves to this covenant and saying, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, if I don't meet the conditions of this covenant, let me be as these animals. In other words, I'm pledging my life to fulfill this covenant. And if I don't, let me be like these animals, let me be sawn and asunder or whatever you wanna say. I'm binding my life to this covenant, and I'm going to fulfill it, even if I die trying. And what we see here is that that God declares what kind of covenant he was making with Abraham. And so I want you to look in verses 12 and following. It says this, that, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, "'Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners "'in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, "'and they will be afflicted for 400 years.'" And he's speaking of their slavery, their bondage in Egypt. "'But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, "'and afterward they shall come out with great possessions.'" As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And what I want, I want to pause here for a second because what I want you to see is that, you know, in verse 13, he says, hey, Abraham, you want some certainty? He says, no for certain. Here's what you can know is that it's not always going to go easy for you. You will, go, you will go through hardship. In fact, you, you will go through some severe hardship. But I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to deliver. I am going to provide. And, and he goes a step further and he, he, he lets us know that this is not a conditional covenant that is based on him and Abraham. This is an unconditional covenant covenant that is solely dependent on the Lord. And I want you to look at verse 17 and 18. It says this, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, and it goes on to repeat that I, I give your, this land to your offspring. But But here's what I want you to see is God alone binds himself to this covenant because it, it says that we see this, these images of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, and we won't spend time here, but those represent God's presence. And you can see all throughout the scriptures, you know, God would lead his people by a pillar of cloud uh, by day and a pillar of fire by night, and this represented the Lord's presence. And so we see the Lord passes through between these animals without Abram. He put Abram to sleep, and he gives him this vision of him passing through. And what, what Abram would have understood in that culture was that this covenant isn't dependent on me. This is an unconditional covenant from the Lord who has bound his life to fulfilling this covenant. And he's not going to let up on this. He's not going to fail on this And though God would keep his promise in the coming generations, he would provide, he would fulfill, and though humans, we humans would fail, right, at literally every turn, God would still choose to undergo the curse of the covenant by sending his son to bear the punishment for our sin. And I want you to see in Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14, it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So if you're not a Jew, then you are part of this group, the Gentiles, all those who are outside of God's people. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to us so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Listen, God would provide. God promised and he provided. He kept every single word that he promised, and yet he still chose to undergo the curse of the covenant by himself becoming a curse for us and bearing the punishment for our sins so that we could be part of the family of God. This is what he did, this unconditional covenant. And so, what does that mean for us? How do we live in light of of this truth? God promises, God provides. God promises, God provides. Well, we can believe like Abraham, we need to believe like Abraham that when God promises, God provides. When God promises, God provides. He fulfilled his promise to Abraham. Ultimately, we saw in Galatians 3, his promise found its fulfillment in, in Christ, that the work of Christ would touch and bless every, every nation and every people on the planet. But as we go through his word, and this is part of the, the process of, of reading the Bible together as a church, is as we read through the scriptures, as we read through the Bible, you're gonna see plenty Plenty of promises of God throughout the scriptures. Some of them will be to specific people and to specific nations, but many of them are to the people of of God. And God doesn't speak haphazardly or carelessly like I do, like we do. He says what he means. And he doesn't make a promise that he won't fulfill. He doesn't promise and not Provide When God promises, God provides. And so when, when you go through the scriptures and you see God make you a promise, you can bank on it. When God promises, he will provide. When God promises salvation and new life to you, when you believe in Christ, you can bank on it. That if you believe, he will give you new life. When God promises blessing to you, when you delight in his word, Psalm one, you can bank on it. When God promises that all things will work together for good, you can bank on it. When God promises to give comfort in your trials, you can bank on it. When God promises that he will finish the work that he started in you, you can bank on it. When God promises to give you peace when you pray, you can bank on it. When God promises that he will supply your every need, you can bank on it. When God promises that he will give you rest when you're weary and you come to him, you can bank on it. When God promises full life to you as you follow him and pursue him, you can bank on it. When God promises to hold you eternally secure in his hand in which no one and nothing can snatch you out of, you can bank on it. When God promises that he will go with you, he will be with you always, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, you can bank on it. And when God promises us that he will return for us, that he has gone to prepare a place for us, but he's coming again for us, guess what? You can, we can bank on it. Because when God promises, God provides every single time. He is a promise keeper, amen? This is who he is. And you know, sometimes all you have is God, and all you have are His promises. Um, I was thinking, you know, I have this, this uh, last 24 hours or so um, about Michelle. And as we got this call, and um, I hear Annette on the, on the line and I'm just I'm putting pieces together as I'm hearing her talk to Michelle and I'm figuring out what's going on. And my mind went to literally the, the day before I had read Job 1 and 2. And in my here journal, um, I highlighted the verse, Job 1, 21. And he said, Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I went on to explain, I kind of wrote, in his suffering, Job continues to praise the Lord. He recognizes that everything he has comes from the Lord's hand. In this life, our stuff that we accumulate uh, won't go with us beyond this life. What we have from beginning to end is the Lord himself. And as I went through my journal, I I did the apply. Okay, how does this apply to me? And this is what I wrote. Stuff is stuff. It doesn't give life. It's not necessary. It will go away. It won't last. The Lord is what matters most. He gives and he takes away. Not haphazardly, but purposefully. I can trust him when with all he gives me. And I can trust him when he takes away. Or with what he doesn't give me. I can hold on to him who never leaves me, even in my suffering. And struggle and uh, I couldn't help but think of that Uh, what I had just written less than 24 hours later and it just made me realize that you know what sometimes all you have is God and all you have are his promises but you can hold on to them because when God promises God provides and this is why he came to Abram in the beginning and said hey fear not Don't be afraid. Listen, Abram, you don't have to be afraid. I am your shield. I will protect you. I will provide for you. Every single promise I have made you, I will provide for. And I want to end just with this this quote that I think is so amazing. It comes from William Carey, who was a missionary to India. He is called or known as the father of modern missions. Back in the 1700s, 1800s, he was a missionary. and, And he said this. And this is what I want us to end with this, this thought. The future is as bright as the promises of God. The future is as bright as the promises of God. Amen. God, thank you for your great and precious promises that you have given us in your word, that we can trust you knowing that you are a God who doesn't just make flippant promises, you are a God who keeps your promises. You are a God who makes a way when there seems to be no way. You are a God that in the midst of hardship and grief and suffering, we can declare with Job, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Lord, we just, we just lift you up. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your promises. Lord, would you help us to cling to the promises that you have made to us. Above all, would we cling to you, the promise keeper. We pray in Jesus' name.